Greg on the Abstract Podcast again, and we are with Nicholas Thicket, managing partner at Aligned and co-host of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Nicholas, please take a moment and say hi, sir. Hey, everyone. Thanks for having me, Greg. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, we're excited to chat with you. We're going to be uh, diving into, I think, a little bit of a controversial topic a little bit, and we might, uh, at the risk of maybe irritating to people, we might hurt some feelings today, Nicholas. Um, I'm excited to do it. I think it's going to be an enjoyable conversation. But uh, ultimately, we're going to be talking about, and you're going to be answering the question, why aren't most SDRs qualified to make cold calls? And so um, there's going to be some harsh truths that come out of our time together today. But before we uh, get into that topic, um, please kind of give our listeners a little bit of background. Um, Who is Nicholas? How did you get into um, aligned. Why did you start your podcast? Let's uh, let's get the the Cliff Notes version of who Nicholas is. Yeah, absolutely. I started selling when I was fourteen, sporting goods, just to go and pay for my own sports. I worked my way up the ladder. I was eighteen. And I was managing about four hundred people for a direct sales company, and uh, loved to work hard and loved to tell people about it. And then I worked in investment banking, and I was selling. Com- companies between 40 and 200 million transaction value. And I wore my burnout as a badge of honor until it almost killed me. I actually spent, had a 30 day all-inclusive hospital stay in the hospital where the first three days, I didn't know if I was going to live or die because of major organ failure from me being stupid. Because apparently you you guys would be surprised about this, but having pre-workout as part of your daily routine, just to go and like keep shit rolling. Does, isn't good for your body. Who would have thunk, hey? And hold on, let, hold on, pause there real quick. I take pre-workout every day. So were you taking pre-workout and then not working out, but using it as more of like an energy drink? Yeah, energy drinks weren't okay. strong enough. Okay, that's a bad idea. Okay, continue. <laughs> and I would take it a couple times a day just to keep myself going. And wow. uh, when I was sitting in the hospital, I was trying to think of, well, I was rethinking my entire life, but I want to know... Well, I was asking myself, is this something I really want to do? And I realized it is, but the way I got taught to do it was stupid. It was go fast, go big, and don't worry about everything in between. And I realized that, you know, you look at all the enterprise sellers are the people that are good. They're strategic. They have a reason for calling. They have a process that they follow. They know their numbers. Nobody's telling them how to do their job. They've learned through trial and error. Somebody's trained them, but they're good. Like it, it's almost, it's not the sleeves that you would, you know, that people try to go and put out there for sales. It's that like slick, smooth. You're like swagger. Good. Yeah. It's like Don Draper from Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're laying in the hospital bed. You have an epiphany. Um, So let's, let's kind of, fast forward to where you are today, right? Like connect the dots for us so we can kind of get everybody up to speed. Yeah. So I started looking at companies to see what the top performers were doing. How are they winning? And where was this disconnect that nobody was talking about? And I found out that uh, the people that were winning were very strategic and not just that the fluffy use of the word, but they never made a call without a reason. They never set a meeting without a point or an agenda. And funny enough, 98% of them use social media as their primary resource. Hmm. 
And uh, it was interesting to dive in. I was like, cool. For what though? Because this yeah. is back in like the pitch slap academic, epidemic like five, six years ago. Like, are you just DMing people and booking meetings? They're like, no, I research. I start a conversation. And I found out that when people book meetings too fast, it creates longer sales cycles. So they were actually going out of their way to slow the process down before they put them into pipeline because it accelerated the deal velocity. Super interesting. That's counterintuitive, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you look around and there's so much like, you know, you want to be first in, you want to, to get that to be an opportunity as fast as possible. But what, in reality, when you do a takeaway, when the salesperson is the person intentionally slowing the deal down, there's so many benefits to doing that. Like you're building trust in the prospect with the prospect. You are establishing credibility. You are in a lot of ways building that rapport to the point where they're going to come to you and trust you around competitors. They're going to ask who else should I be looking at? And then you're almost kind of in a way writing your own RFP with that prospect as a result of, you know, slowing things down and building that trust relationship up front. So that it does accelerate when you get into that opportunity stage. Absolutely. Playing, playing devil's advocate though, Nicholas, um, when you look at like, holistically, if we look at like sales cycles, most sales leaders would say sales cycle starts when an opportunity is created. Okay. If you're really looking at like lead to revenue, though, ultimately the argument could be made that it probably all balances out in the end, whether that lead is engaged with, and then an opportunity is created a little bit later versus opportunities created sooner. Or do you disagree with that? I disagree because the first one where you're delaying it, you're building at scale. You're educating on social media. You're going through webinars. You're building something that it is not increasing your CAC, your customer acquisition costs, where when we force it into a one-on-one, we now limit our time available. And it's also draining because we have to be present. We have to prepare when you're doing this at scale and putting your point of view out there and really distilling that customer insight and knowledge and putting it out there for the world to see, you can do that with thousands, tens of thousands at a time. And it's very cheap. So no, I, I, I don't agree. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Well, that's why we do this podcast. Uh, and I frequently get disagreed with. So I'm glad that we are continuing that trend, Nicholas. Um, all right. So we wanted to talk about cold calling. So let's transition back to that topic. So um, social selling, like that's not going anywhere anytime soon. I feel like I know how you're going to transition this conversation from social selling to cold calling, but, um, let's talk about that. So, um, my first question to you is why do most SDR struggle with cold calling? So, one of the things that I've been through my research, because I've been actually looking at why sales teams are struggling to hit quota and why the retention is so low and like so many SDRs churn, where is this coming from? And what is the big, what's the bigger issue? And I realized they never question who's on the list. Huh. So Greg, you've been called a thousand times. How many times <laughs> did you feel like you should have been on that list? Oh, so it's, it's funny. Um, 
as an SDR, one of the things that I used to do, Nicholas, is I would scour through Crunchbase and I would look for funding announcements from companies. And the moment a new company would pop up on Crunchbase, I would call the CEO and I'd be like, oh, you have money to spend. Come spend it with us. And mm-hmm. um, I did such a poor job of articulating why I thought that based upon the stage that that company was at and the new problems that they were going to face could be solved by our solution. Um, I say that, sorry, because I've been that STR doing a bad job at that. When we won Startup Showdown a month and a half, two months ago, I, I think I got 60 phone calls a day, hundreds of emails every single day. And not as like, I knew why I was on the list, Nicholas, to your question, but not a single one of those outreaches, whether voicemail, I got text messages, LinkedIn messages, emails, not a single one of them was relevant and specific to, hey, your company is growing. Here's the problems you're likely going to hit. Here's how I think we can solve those. And so it saddened me because I was at SDR eight years ago. And nothing has changed between eight years ago when I was doing those bad things and today when hundreds and thousands of SDRs are continuing to do that. Yeah, like when I get people that go and reach out to me and they're like, I just can't get a hold of the right prospects. I can't open the deals that I want to get to. And it's like, okay, why them? Why now? Why are they on your list? Yeah. What is the minimum requirements to be a good customer for you to see the full value in what you offer and why now? Yeah. What about that company changed? What intent did you see? What are the pain signals that say, hey, it's not just more money, more problems. It's, hey, we went and helped this company that was going through the Series C because they didn't realize that this, this, and this were going to come up. We helped so-and-so with this. I was wondering if I could send you a list of a few things to consider. Would that be helpful? Yeah. It just changes the whole tone. Yeah. So let's talk about that. So try to bring that back to the topic of cold calling then. Like, is that a conversation that you try to have over a phone call? Or is that something that you're doing maybe on social, maybe via email in preparation to then go make a phone call? I think that cold calls aren't dead. I think that the phone is a powerful resource for communicating. I think you also have to go and score your channels based on who you're talking to. I know that when I call senior managers over the age of 50, they prefer that I call. And they hate when I email because their email is more of a to-do list than anything else. And they're just not on social media. They don't see the value in it and it's not part of their daily routine. So there's that. But going back to like, what, when do you call? Calling is a great way when you need instant feedback or you look and you see the other, your other like primary channels aren't available. And two, sometimes it's better to not go direct with privacy laws and everything else. Sometimes it's great to go and call the secretary or the gatekeeper and turn them into an asset and ask for their help. So there, there are reasons But if you're always defaulting to cold calling because you're using uh, like a parallel dialer and you're just trying to go scale, we're not, that's a tough thing to do because unless you validated every single number on that list, 
You've seen that that is their primary channel that they like to communicate on. And there's a reason for them to be on the list in the first place. This is why companies spend so much money trying to get better at tactics because they're trying to make up for the fact that they shouldn't have called the person in the first place. Okay. So I asked you in the, the overall kind of theme of our topic is why aren't most SDRs qualified to make cold calls is the more important question. Like why are most companies failing at enabling or preparing reps to make those calls in the first place? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I can actually tell a story if you don't mind. Yeah, please. Let's, let's hear it. I was talking to a company that deals with sales enablement or the, the particular person was a director of sales enablement. And I was trying to understand why they were having such high churn in their SDRs and why their quota attainment was below 40%. And so that's when bad. I started digging in to what was actually going on, they had great scripts, they had all the technology that you could ever want, but they were still failing and they were all frustrated and they were leaving. And when I looked, they were spending, spending over 10 million, well, they're spending seven figures to go and try to improve their tactics. But I, when I was trying to dig into what that looked like, what was that actual process to becoming a lead to actually calling them? They had their most junior of junior people building the list and then giving it to their SDRs to make a phone call. Hmm. So these are people that have never stepped in those buyer's shoes. They don't know what their roles and responsibilities are. They don't know what they're judged on. They don't understand the intent. They don't, the changes, the pain signals that would make right now the right time or actually seeing a customer realize the value that was promised from that product. And so they were living on a hope and a prayer, kind of the traditional spray and pray. And they were trying to spray and pray better and faster. I think that is the issue is instead of getting targeted, we're just kind of walking out, you know, why does a hunter not take a machine gun out hunting? He sees the deer and he shoots. And if he can't shoot to kill and respect the animal, then he shouldn't be out there hunting in the first place. The answer isn't, okay, well, let's bring a machine gun so I can shoot more times. That's fair. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So precision, right. Be precise. And so I guess thinking back to that customer story, Nicholas, um, was there a rationale or a reason why they had the most junior people building that list? Was it like an initiation, hazing? Like, what was their reason? They didn't actually have one. Norm normally, I hear that with SDRs. Like, why do you get them to start cold calling or emailing? And it, that's usually what it is. It's initiation. You got to earn your stripes by putting in the numbers. But that wasn't it. They wanted them to get used to using the software. We, they wanted them to see the scripts and they wanted them to get kind of exposed to everything. But like, why not CS? Why not put them in customer success to go and do that? Why? Yeah. <laughs> why make my make the lists? That's true. Okay. So again, it doesn't sound like, like, let's not blame the SDR. No, right? it's not like, the SDR. There's, there's so many people and processes and strategies and decisions that are, are driving the behavior of that mm. SDR. And so Okay. So we're getting some here with this. So again, I don't think it's the SDR's fault. I think it's sales enablement, sales leadership's fault that makes these decisions that, you know, Hey, you're day one, you're going to go build a list of qualified prospects for us. 
Um, that sounds like a horrible idea in the first place. Um, so let's change this a little bit. Um, if I'm a new SDR, like, and my company is telling me, hey, you're gonna go build this list and I need the job, I need the paycheck. Like, what would you recommend I do to help me maybe understand how to build that list so that it's actually an effective list in the first place? Like what resources, what strategies might I go and use? A great question. I would read all the case studies on your website okay. and I would look for common trends. And especially every time they have a case study, they always have the quotes. Look at who, who was quoted. Go into the CRM and see who actually was part of that deal. And then look at the titles and the commonalities. And also look at, there's the first quote of the problem statement. There's the solution statement too. What did they get quoted? What was their actual wording of the solution? Pay attention to that. Also, build a list of all the closed one and closed lost. Yeah. Cold call them. You're, you're already cold calling. Cold call them. Hey, I just wanted to know, how would you, like, ask them, how would you describe us? And then call a closed loss. How would you describe us? And really understand where that difference is. Was it because it was pitched wrong and they didn't see the value? Or was it because it was a bad fit in the first place? And really start to hone in where, give yourself a sandbox to play in. Where can you put up those parameters? So you're not searching everywhere. And then if you can, if ask your bosses too, like, have you guys done a win-loss analysis? Do you know what the top five customers we won last year is? Do you know the top five that we lost? Do you know the, the five fastest that we closed? What did you notice that was the same? Yeah. And, yeah. and one of my favorite things, if you have an open team that's a real team working together, ask if you can get the top SDR to share their screen while they're prospecting and get them to manually prospect to accounts and get them to talk about what they're looking for, what they didn't see, what, what is the things that are like those, like, oh, this is somebody I need to call, and get them to talk about what they would say to them, why it matters, so that you're understanding the thought process that goes into making a good call, not just a good customer. I love that. Um... And I mean, if you're using some type of like call recording tool, like conversational intelligence, right? Like go back to those top customers, go listen to those calls. What were the pain points that they were you that they were trying to solve for? Why did your solution meet those pain points? So there's really like just pure laziness is probably the only reason why someone who is tasked with building that call list would not be able to, to build a qualified call list. Like there's so many resources and technology available to you to find out who should be on that list in the first place. I've heard a couple people say too, it's the activity metrics that they're, they have to hold a bag too quickly. So there's no real ramp period for them to learn. Yeah. But I would say like doing this process doesn't take as long as people think. And by doing it every single outreach every single whether it's a cold call social selling an email every activity will get better because you're learning by experience because you're running experiments otherwise well how do you learn when you don't have a rhyme or rhythm to why you're doing things and so like you were saying even like listening to recordings 
I would have killed for that when I started, be able to listen to like the great calls and then compare it to the ones that we lost that bombed. What was the difference? Why? But yeah, yeah. metrics and then just, I don't know if it's just laziness or even not knowing how to use it because they don't understand the context behind it. Such a good point. Yeah, there's really, um, today's day and age, there's no excuse to not have resources to, to figure out how, how to build that list. And so our conversation has definitely shifted a lot. You know, there's, I think we can agree. It's not that SDRs aren't qualified. It's that the teams, the leadership is not properly, you know, enabling that SDR mm-hmm. or, you know, not giving them really enough time to even kind of wrap their head around. Like it's, it's probably a week, right? You maybe need a week of consuming case studies, consuming calls, consuming industry information, right? It's not months, right? It's not a year. It's maybe a week, maybe two to then know how to go build that list in the first place. Um, so I think, you know, the next question I was going to ask you is like, why is the turnover rate for SDR so high? But I think it's pretty obvious, like unrealistic expectations, un, like totally disillusioned enablement tactics, not aligned with buyer pers- like personas, not aligned with, you know, the changing dynamics of a market. Like the list goes on in terms of why SDR turnover is so high. Yeah. And there's the kind of the thing where you own your success. So it's, you go to your manager and if they don't have a supportive culture, shut up and work suffer in silence. And unfortunately, a lot of people own that company failure as their own when really it's not, it's not, it's not all on them. Yeah. I agree with that. I agree with that. Well, last question, I guess. So we kind of come full circle. So how would, how do companies go about changing their mindset around like, you know, hey, you didn't hit top of funnel lead generation for your SDR team this this quarter. We're putting everybody on a pip. Like, it's so easy to do that, right? It's so easy to not be introspective and go, what did I do wrong? So how do companies go about changing their mindset to where like, let's not just start immediately gut reaction blame the SDR, but like, let's, let's think broader picture. What are we doing to kind of not enable this SDR team in the first place? Yeah, I, I would I would challenge any of the senior leaders that are listening to this. Are you teaching your juniors to sell in a way that you would never buy? Mm, I like that. Like I don't wake up in the middle of the night and say, oh my God, I just need this software that would solve everything. And honestly, I also don't have the budget because it was never on my radar in the first place. And I think we need to realize that there's ways to accelerate and build that um, momentum in a sales cycle, but a great cold call is just an opening portion. And so we need to really consider where that buyer's journey is starting and how we're enabling it as a whole and realize too, like people are busy. We're calling the busiest people that you probably got to book two or three weeks out on their calendar. So let's consider how we're supporting the sales team and doing that so that they're actually coming in the time that's actually beneficial to that buyer instead of trying to force away it's always been done like predictable revenue was what written in 1987 a long time ago and so that it was built on the merits of people that were what worked in the 60s and 70s i got trained it when i first started 
And then we had 2014 where HubSpot came in with inbound marketing. And then 2019, where people started to have to use intent software and social selling and different ways to contact that. The times have changed. Why hasn't yeah. our sales process? Uh, so I, uh, I heard uh, a previous podcast I recorded. I think it's the, um, it was described as like, it's the old white guy who's still in sales leadership who's been selling for 30 years since predictable revenue, you know, nothing against Aaron Ross and predictable revenue. Like that book Mm -hmm. is phenomenal. Like, I think there's a lot of good takeaways there that are still relevant today, but like the same people that are leading sales teams, they've, they grew up and they kind of, they carried a bag through that way of selling. And so now, you know, old dog, new tricks, right? It's very hard to get that person who has been very successful in their career for 20, 25, 30 years to think differently about how to bring, you know, a, a route to market that includes like SDRs and your, you know, the bumboras of the world, the the intent data, you know, that we talked about. Like there's so much out there now that you almost have to be just as versed in, technology and how it enables SDRs in addition to sales strategies, tactics, and implementing kind of a repeatable sales motion. So absolutely. All right. Well, Nicholas, this has been awesome, man. Um, anybody wants to get a hold of you, kind of talk with you, learn more about Alliance, uh, maybe look at using you guys for some help. What's the best way to get a hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn. Nicholas Thicket, T-H-I-C-K-E-T-T, or you can go check out b2bpowerhour.com. And uh, if you shoot me a message and let me know what you're struggling with, I will do my best to go and find the best resource for you. Cool. Awesome. I, I appreciate it. This has been awesome. I know uh, our, our, our general theme quickly got uh, blown to pieces and we went off topic, but um, there are some good nuggets for us in our conversation today. And uh, really thankful for your time and uh, your kind of thoughts on the subjects. Thank you for having me. And thanks for the great conversation. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Take it easy, Nicholas. You too. Bye. Bye.